0: Thing that comes into your mind sometimes when you pray especially short, short bursts of prayer you say Lord I need this Lord I want to have this or Lord I want to be changed those are good prayers mind you I'm not saying that you don't pray those kind of prayers especially when we bow down before the Lord God when we have our set appointments with the Lord God in prayer we need to acknowledge that prayer is not just about talking to the Lord, but listening to Him and giving him all the Because whatever we pray about, our perspective on the Lord God. In the passage we are going to study this morning, Nehemiah chapter 9, we see that the Israelites have a great outlook or perspective on who God is in their life. We will see things this morning. We will see that the Israelites... Know that God is so great, that God is so good, and that God is so gracious in their life. No matter what your needs are, no matter what are your prayer requests, remember that these three characteristics of the Lord God is the most important in our life. Because if God is not great, if God is not gracious, then we cannot be here, we cannot get together we cannot move on and live our life as christians because everything that we do everything that we say is based on our knowledge and perspective of the lord god chapter 9 of the imaya is one of the great and long or lengthy prayers of the israelites if you want to look at the other um, books in the bible that record the national prayers of israel you can look at ezra chapter nine, as well as Daniel chapter 9. When I was reading this, is it a coincidence that these books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel, all in chapter 9 of those books, are lengthy national prayers of the people of Israel. And those prayers contain how they look at the Lord God. They do not have so much prayer requests in these verses. But it's more about how they appreciate who God is in their life. And that's my challenge for all of, all of us this morning. When we pray, we pray God's characteristics. And you know why? Because those are the prayers that God are really pleased. I don't mean that He's not pleased when we tell Him our needs or even our desires, the desires of our hearts. But when we acknowledge Him as great, good, and gracious, He is most pleased because it's lifted up He's magnified, he's exalted when we pray those kinds of prayers. Dr. Arthur T. Pearson said this, history is actually his story. When we talk about history, we talk about World War I, World War II, we talk about the past events in our life. I'm not saying that they're not good to talk about, but remember, everything in our life as Christians, is all about God worship is all about Jesus Christ it's not about ourselves or what we can do or what do what we say it's all about our Lord Christ that's why Jesus Christ said to the Samaritan woman at the well we must worship the Lord God in spirit and in truth we only worship the Lord God one other writer Huxley said that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history Is the most important of all the lessons that history has to teach. We don't learn from history. We always do the same mistakes. What if we learn from our mistakes and we don't follow what we did in the past? Then we will become better people. We will become better Christians. And God will be... Those who do not remember the past are condemned to relieve it and that's why the israelites in chapter 9 are wanting uh, as they pray to the lord to remember their past to remember their sins in the past so that they will not repeat them again All throughout the bible after Nehemiah chapter 9 the people of god continued on falling into idol worship The same thing happens to all of us. That's why we need to be consistent in our prayer life. We cannot drop our guards. We cannot say, I've been prayerful for this week, and then next week, I'm not going to be prayerful. That's not the way of the Christian life. He, the Lord God, wants us to keep on praying consistently. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tells us, pray without ceasing. I don't mean that we pray long prayers from 6 o'clock, Wake up until you sleep in the evening. But continue to pray in short bursts of prayers. When you are working, when you're doing something, you can tell, Lord, Lord, I thank you that I'm preparing a great meal for my family. I hope they will eat all of them and finish them. I thank, Lord, that you have given me this job. I thank the Lord that you allowed me to wake up this morning and to see the beauty of your nature. Pray without ceasing. So our prayer, as I've said, should reveal the three things that we're going to talk about this morning. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God. So let's take a look at verses one to six. Our prayer should reveal the greatness of God. So how did the Israelites mention the greatness of God in their life. So starting in verse 1, chapter 9. Now in the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. So they started praying with repentance, with confession of sins. They start fasting, putting on sackcloth, that's their tradition, and ashes. That's the way... of of telling other people that we are confessing our sins before the Lord and telling the Lord that we are turning away from our sins. We don't want to repeat the mistakes of our forefathers. And we also are sinful. So, Lord, we want to tell you, we are asking you to forgive us of all our sins. And you know, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. And then in verse 2, the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strange, strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Separated themselves from strangers, the foreigners. Why would they separate themselves or isolate themselves from strangers? Because these strangers are idol worshipers. These people are the ones who in the first place, back in the land of Canaan, influenced them to worship images, worship the rocks, worship the sun, the moon, and the stars, and everything in nature. And God wanted to be worshipped alone. Remember, God is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share his people with the other so-called false gods of this world. And if you are here today, God doesn't wor- want you to worship idols. And what are the idols in the world? Technology, possessions, the Teslas, the beautiful cars, the, your, your properties, even this building. And ourselves, we consider ourselves as gods. And those are idols. God says, I am a jealous God. I love you so much and I deserve that you love me back and worship me alone we do not worship images right now unless you are in the other religions but now we have so much more idols compared to the people in Israel and it's not only the people of Israel needed to be, con- to be confessing their sins we need to confess our sins and to repent from those idols in our life he deserves our worship alone so in verse 3 They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. What's one-fourth part of the day? One-fourth of 24 hours is six hours. They stood while Ezra, the scribe, and the other priests and leaders of Israel were reading the Bible for six hours. From 6 a.m. until noontime. Remember last week in chapter 8? They did that already. And then, now, in this day, the 24th day of the month, they continued reading the Bible for six hours. As I've said last week, sometimes we cannot bear reading the Bible even for one hour. Even one chapter a day, we don't want to tolerate reading the Bible. We just get bored right away. Because the problem is that we don't have the right perspective of the Word of God. We think that the Bible is just like our favorite novel. Or pocket book. Remember, the Bible is not those pocket books. It's not like a novel. It's God's story. Although we are part of this story, it's essentially God's story. And if you want to know God more and more in your life, read the Bible from cover to cover yearly. It's not enough to know the, to know the Lord God in just one year. You need you can learn the. About the Lord God Himself all throughout your lifetime until you are ushered into heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ. So now in verse 4, then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua and Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani, and cried with loud voice unto the Lord their God. Verse 5, the Levites, Jeshua and Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Petathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord God forever and ever and bless be thy glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So after confession and repentance, what did they do? They praise God. God, you are a blessing to us. Your name is so glorious. We lift up your name. And some of them per- perhaps are lifting their hands. Paul told Timothy, in your church, allow men to lift up their hands in holy praise. I know that we are in this kind of um, denomination called Baptist, but it doesn't mean that if you're a Baptist uh, person in a Baptist church, you cannot lift up your hands to praise God. We cannot inhibit ourselves to show our worship or express our worship to the Lord. I want you to lift up your hands. That means you are praising God. You are not praising people, but you are praising God our lord god himself that's how you bless his name you exalt him above all blessing and praise remember when jesus christ comes back all people even the unbelievers will bow down before him and say that his name is above all names because he is the lord of lords and the king of all kings how much more we modern day christians we should be blessing and praising the Lord God every moment of our life. Now in verse 6, he said, Thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth, and all things that are therein, the seas, and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. So you see here that God is the only God. The false gods that we worship, they are not true gods. Because those gods cannot speak, those gods cannot see, those gods cannot hear, those gods cannot move, cannot walk. Why do we worship them? You know why we worship those false gods? Because we can control those gods. But the God of the Bible, we cannot control. He is the one who can control us. And that's why We, in our humanity, don't want to have the God of the Bible, but we want our own gods because we can control those gods. Because we ourselves are our own gods, we think. But we must remember that there's only one God, and that is the God of the Bible. The God of Israel, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Paul, and the God of all of us, of all true born-again believers. He made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, all the hosts, the earth. He's the creator, that's why he's a great God. No one created him. That's why the Bible says, when God created, he's the only one who can make things out of nothing. That's what it means by Creation. Even people right now who said, I created the computer, I created this microphone. No, they did not create the microphone. They invented, they made. Because they made all these things out of something. When God created everything, he created out of nothing. Remember, it's nothing. There's nothing before the first day of creation. And then he said, let there be light. And there was light. He's the only one who can create. That's why he is a great God. He created the universe and he cares for his creation. It says here in verse 6, You preserve them all. You keep the, your creation. You protect. You're the one preserving your creation. But of course, we know that whatever we do, whether we are climate change activists or we are environmentalists or we care so much for our crea- for the creation of God, we cannot stop this creation of God from being destroyed. Because at the end of time, God, the Bible says, the heaven and the earth will be destroyed and it, be, it will be replaced by the new heavens and the new earth. So, even if we so, care so much about our environment, about nature, we know that this is going to be destroyed very, very soon. Of course, it doesn't mean or it doesn't stop us from uh, protecting us. We need to have that perspective that this will be changed completely by the Lord Jesus at the end of But if he cares for his creation, we should care also for God's creation. And even in heaven, the last part of verse 6, the hosts of heaven, the angels, worship God. And remember, the hosts of heaven, the angels, never experience salvation. There's only one created, creation of God, that experience salvation, and that's us, human beings. And of all people, the angels were so envious, of our salvation because they never experienced the love of God they never experienced Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins but we did isn't that a great reminder a great motivation and encouragement and challenge for all of us to keep telling God God you are so great because you love me so much so now I'm going to worship you the Israelites that stopped stop with saying that, God, you are so great, they said also, God, you are so good. So in the long passage, in verses 7 to 30, Nehemiah tells us how God has been so good to the people of Israel. That even though, even though these people of Israel have been disobeying God from day one that they were chosen by God until the end of the Old Testament, God remained good and faithful to God. Have you experienced that? You have always obeyed the, uh, disobeyed the Lord several times in your life, but God is still showing how he loves you so much. We can remember the prodigal son and the father. The prodigal son took all his part of the inheritance and then left his family. And spent all his money in a foreign town or foreign country. But when he came back, he wanted to come back as a servant, not as a child of the father. But what did the father do? When he saw his son coming back from a faraway place, he was the one running towards the child and embraced him as if nothing happened. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. That despite our sinfulness, He still loves us. Of course, He would discipline us, He would chasten us, because He loves us so much. But His love for us will never diminish. And think about that. Whatever sin you have committed, as long as you know that you are a child of God, His love for you will never diminish. Sometimes our love for our children might diminish because we are human beings. But God's love will never diminish. It will remain the same. He sacrificed His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all of us. How much more for all of us that He will always express His love for us. His love will never be diminished. So in 7 to 18, chapter 9, we see... The goodness of God when he formed the nation of Israel. Verse 7 Thou art the Lord the God who didst choose Abram and brought him, him forth out of the Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abram, and foundest his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. Just a side note. When you're reading the Bible, read those passages. And when you see those words, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, it will help you to become a better speaker. You know why? Because you can pronounce these words, then you can pronounce other words in the English uh, books. These are hard to pronounce words, especially the names that we have mentioned in chapter verse 5. And that will keep you awake when you read the Bible. Keep on pronouncing and reading those passages. So as this far in verses 7 and 8, we see, that Nehemiah said to the people of Israel and to God himself, God, you were the one who formed the nation by calling Abraham from the ore of the Chaldees, from a foreign land, from a foreign nation, filled with idol worship. And you called him to Canaan in order to form this group of people who are stubborn, stiff necked, people. But still, you chose them because you made the choice to love them. The same with all of us. We don't deserve God, we don't deserve the love of God. God, even through Jesus Christ, did not, did not need to die. Jesus Christ chose to die for all of us because he loves us so much. That's how good is God, God is. And verse 9, he did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard us their cry by the Red Sea. So when they were in slavery in Egypt, what did God do? God delivered them from slavery. Is God good? Of course. He showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For thou knowest that thou dealt proudly against them, so didst thou get thee a name as it is today. And then verse 11, he divided the Red Sea. When the people of Israel were embattled at two fronts, in front was the flooded Red Sea and at their backs, the soldiers of the Pharaoh. So nowhere else to go. So what did God do? God divided the Red Sea so that they can cross. Is God good? Definitely, God is good. Verse 12, Moreover thou ledest them in the day by a cloudy pillar, in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Is God good? Of course. He provided them direction. In the morning, the cloud. In the evening, the fire. So that they can see themselves all the way through the wilderness. Verse 13, Thou camest thou also upon Mount Sinai, and speakest with them from heaven, gavest them right judgments, and true laws, good statutes and commandments. God gave them the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are still the principles that we stood upon in order to live the true Christian life. Verse 14, Made us known unto them thy holy Sabbath, commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws, by the hand of Moses, thy servant, and gave them bread from heaven, the manna, for their hunger, and brought us forth water for them out of the rock when they were thirsty, and promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hadst sworn to give them. Verse 16 starts the problem of the Israelites. But they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not thy commandments. They started to disobey God. They started to complain against the Lord God. They refused to obey, verse 17, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. They forgot all the miracles, all the good things that God had given them. But God still remained faithful to them. God still loved them. They hardened their necks and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bandage but thou art a God ready to pardon. You know, when you look at the Bible and you see that connective word, but, that's a very important thing. That even though the people of God were so disobedient to the Lord, to the point of rebelling against the Lord, God is still pardoning, God is still gracious, God is still merciful, God is still slow to anger, God is still kind, and He did not forsake them. When we commit sin against the Lord, God did not say, Now, you're a stubborn child, I will leave you, and I will forsake you. No. Despite what we do, because we are true children of God, God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. The same thing with the Israelites. He never forsook them or left them in the wilderness. Even in verse 18, they made a molten calf. And they said, This thy God that brought thee out of Egypt and had brought great provocation. They provoked God into anger. And many people died during that day at the foot of Mount Sinai. But God still kept a remnant of his people to show and express his love for them. Yet thou in the manifold mercies forsookest them not in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud departed not from them by day to lead them in the way. Neither the pillar of fire by night to show them light, and the way therein they should go. Verse 20, thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and withholdest not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. For forty years God sustained them with manna. For forty years God sustained them with water coming from the rivers, even if they are in the wilderness. Is God good? Is God still faithful? Perhaps you are here right now. You might be saying, I'm so tied with all my, with my budget right now because of what's happening all over the world. But can you say God is still good? God is still faithful? Is God still faithful to this church? We may be unfaithful to him. We may not be obeying him at all times, but God is still faithful faithful to us. He will continue to provide for his people. Verse 21, Yea, forty years did thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes wax not old, and their feet swelled not. Isn't God faithful? For forty years, they did not change their sandals. Their clothes are still the same. They did not wear and tear. Can you imagine? Now perhaps, After a year, you want to buy a new set of clothing, a new set of pair of shoes. But for 40 years, they did not need to do that. God provided for them for 40 years. And you know, their attitude perhaps was that they were just content. The problem with all of us right now is after a year, we want to have a new set of everything because we're not content with what we have. Even if it's still working, the things that we have, Are still working we want to replace them right away because I want to follow the trends the fashion the way of the world so I want to change everything my clothing my shoes and everything even my hairstyle or everything and so on and so forth we are not content but we need to learn contentment from God himself that he will provide for all our needs In verse 22, moreover thou gavest them kingdoms and nations, and did divide them into corners. So, you see here, Nehemiah was rehearsing the history of God's people. And in the midst of God's history for his people, God is great. God is good. God is faithful. He never left them. He never forsook them. He remained in their midst. Even if they have enemies all over, even right now, Israel has so many enemies around them. The Middle East nations surrounding them. Can we say God is still faithful? Of course. Because even though Israel right now, as it is, is a small nation compared to the land of Canaan, which is more than the territory of Israel right now, God is still preserving his people even though they are stubborn until now. They don't want Jesus Christ being preached right now in Israel. But God still loves them. Because God still has a plan for his people. And as I've said, his main focus during the tribulation period will be his people, Israel. But it doesn't mean that God left his people right now. Still, many Jewish people are getting to know Jesus Christ. And we call them Messianic Jewish Christians. Messianic Jewish people. And they are now... The ones spreading the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to their own people. And some of them are in North America. Helping Jewish people here in North America to come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so in verse 22, they possess the land of Sihon and the land of the king of Heshbon, the land of king of Og, king of Bashan. Verse 23, their children also multiplies thou as the stars of heaven. And brought us them into the land concerning which thou hast promised to their fathers that they should go in to possess it. Many people wanted to annihilate and completely destroy Israel because there are so many of them, especially during the time of Nehemiah. The Babylonians tried to kill all of them and all the other enemies, but God continued to multiply his own people. And no one can stop that. The Bible says, God is so powerful that no one can stop all his plans and purposes for his people. Even for your life, for our life, for the life of this church. If God has a great plan for us individually and corporately, no one can stop that. Not even the enemy. So we should not feel and look defeated. We should appear victorious and be confident. That we are winners, that we are triumphant, triumphant before the enemy, because of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse twenty-four. So the children went in and possessed the land. Thou subduest them before the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites gave it to them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. They took they took strong cities, and a fat land possessed houses full of all goods wells dig vineyards oliveyards, fruit trees in abundance so they did eat and were filled became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness when they came to canaan do they need to produce all these fertile lands and the fruits no when they came in all of those things were there and who did that the lord god himself and that's why the israelites can never be proud Of what they did in the land of Canaan God did everything for all of them The same with all of us Everything that we have right now in our hands Every possession that we have right now All of them belong to the Lord Everything belongs to the Lord We are just stewards, managers We can never call ourselves as owners Possessors of what we have. We are only managers and stewards. And when Jesus Christ comes back, we'll be accountable unto him. What have we done with all the things that he has provided for us? He has given you gifts, spiritual gifts. He has given you material things. Material things are not bad unless they become your idols. They're actually good if you use them for the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So use them to spread the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26 said, Nevertheless they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and cast thy law behind their backs. Slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee and they wrought great provocation. Is God good? Yes, God's still good even though they were disobedient. So what did God do? Did he tolerate their sin? Verse 27 Thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies Who vexed them And in the time of their trouble When they cried unto thee Thou heardest them from heaven And according to thy manifold mercies Thou gavest them saviors Who saved them of the hand of their enemies So when they went to Canaan They disobeyed God They worshipped idols If God is a holy God he will not tell tolerate sin. So what did he do? He brought some enemies to Canaan in order to afflict, to cause some kind of suffering to his people. And that's what we call in the Bible chastening or discipline. And remember, when God disciplines, he does that because of love. And he has a good principle or good lesson to teach his people when he disciplines them. And what was the principle? After they experienced trouble, what did the people of Israel do? They cried unto the Lord. They depended on the Lord. And that's what God wants from all of us. When we disobey Him, and that's not an if, that is when. Because all of us will surely disobey Him. He will give us discipline. He will chasten us. Whether physical affliction, spiritual, or anything else. But then because of his love, he will show us that he does that because he wants us to learn a great lesson from him. And that lesson is that to remain humble and not proud before our God. So that's what we do when we are disciplined instead of fighting against God because we can never fight against God. And we can never win against God. The only thing that we can do when we are disciplined just like the people of Israel Israelites to cry out to him to be humble before him and what did God do they gave them saviors that's what we call the judges in the book of judges who saved them out of the hand of their enemies after they had rest verse 28 they did evil again so you see the Israelites are just like any one of us after being saved and delivered from our afflictions and then be having prosperity again, we go back to the same old ways, just like the Israelites. Therefore, God left them again in the hand of their enemies so that they had the dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, Thou according to their mercies. Many times God delivered them because of God's mercy. Is God good? Is God faithful? Yes. Is verse 29 he testified against them that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law? Yet they doubt they dealt proudly and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy commandments, which uh, if a man do, he shall live in them. And withdrew the shoulder and hardened their neck and would not hear. Yet many years did thou forbear, forbear them and testified against them by thy spirit in thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear, therefore gavest them thou into the hand of the people of the lands. Several times the people of Israel kept on violating the commandments of God. And several times God had been showing them his mercy, his everlasting mercy. Even though God sent them prophets to teach them the lessons, they would not come back to him. Do you see yourselves among the people of Israel? Israel? Do you see yourself repeatedly violating the commandments of God? And then going back to him and then going back to your old sinful lifestyle. God will still show you mercy. But God is not completely and continually long-suffering. Because there will be a time that he said, it's enough. I need to do something about this. Because you're not learning your lesson. As long as we don't learn a lesson, God will continue to inflict discipline upon us. Because remember, His purpose of discipline is not only to show His love, but to bring us back into the right path. If we keep on detouring, going into the wrong track, riding the straight and narrow path that He designed for all of us, He will keep on Disciplining us, spanking us to the point of sometimes some people would die and he would bring this person to heaven rather than commit the most wicked things in his own life. God wants us to go back into the right path. Remember, when we trust in the Lord, when we obey him, acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct us into the right path always. God is not only great, God is not only good, but lastly, God is also gracious. 31 to 38 Nevertheless for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art what? A gracious and merciful God. God could have wiped them out. Actually, at the foot of Mount Sinai when the people of Israel, together with Aaron, made a calf image And they were dancing around this calf, while worshipping this calf. God says, get away Moses, I'm going to destroy all these people and I can raise up a new group of people from you, Moses. But Moses prayed to the Lord, said, no Lord, please spare them. What would the people of Egypt say? You brought your people out of Egypt and then you'll just kill all of them? Did God relent on the punishment? He killed some of, people, of the people, but he didn't wipe out all of Israel. Why? Because he is a gracious and merciful God. My brethren, we are in the church age. At the point of time, the Lord Jesus Christ's death until the rapture. We are in the church age. And the church is age, the age of grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is so merciful, not only to his people, but to his world, to this world. Right now, we are in a world that is just like the time of Noah, the time of Jonah. People are so wicked and unrepentant. If we are like in the time of Noah, God could have wiped out the whole earth already. But why is he not doing the same thing to all of us? Because he is a gracious and merciful God. He wants as many people as possible to come into repentance and to know Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. So now in 32 to 38, the people of Israel keep on praying to the Lord God about his mercy. So in 32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the terrible God, who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the troubles seem little before thee, that have come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and our priests, on our prophets, On our fathers and all thy people, since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day, how be it thou art just, God is gracious because he is also a just God. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Let it ring into your ears, God is always doing what is right, but we have done what is wicked in his eyes. God is never evil, God is always good, God is always holy. Neither have our kings, verse 34, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearkened unto thy commandments and thy testimonies, wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them. Neither turned they away from their wicked works. You see, that's why many people perhaps right nowadays are so mad at the people of Israel. They have done so much evil towards the Lord God. But sometimes we always look at the plant in the eyes of the other person. We don't see the big piece of wood in our own eyes. We judge Israel, but we don't judge ourselves. We blame Israel. Oh, Israel, you are so wicked. You are chosen by God, but now you keep on disobeying him. Why don't we take a look at ourselves also, examine ourselves. Have we not done the same thing to our Lord Jesus Christ? Repeatedly, just like the people of Israel. So now in 36, they made a covenant. Because God is so gracious and merciful, we're going to make a covenant before God. And that will be the essence of chapter 10 and 11, as we go to that next week. But here in verse 36, they started saying, we are servants this day and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof behold we are servants in it and it yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins also they have dominion over our bodies over our cattle at their pleasure and we are in great distress God called them to become servants for the Babylonian people, foreign people. And because of that, they were not able to experience the goodness of God in Jerusalem. And so in verse 38 he said, Because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. And our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. So now, Lord, knowing that you are great, you are good, you are gracious. We make a covenant, and that will be 10 and 11, but their covenant will be this. Lord, from this day on, we will start to be obedient children of yours. And I pray that all of us will have that kind of covenant, that we will remain as servants and children of God, obedient rather than disobedient. Of course, we should not follow the people of Israel, but we are like them in most points of our lives. And it's time for us to change. It's time for us to pray a prayer that reveals that God is a great, a good, and gracious God. So I invite you two things to do this coming week. Find ways to tell the story of God's grace and faithfulness in your life. If you can do it, write in a journal or share them with another brother or sister in Christ or share with another person in your life. And if you have children, your own family, pass them on. Pass them on God, God's God and take time each day individually to praise God, to confess your sin, to ask for his favor, and yield to his sovereignty in your life. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come to you again knowing that when we pray we acknowledge we exp- express the truth That you are a great God, that you are a good God, and that you are a gracious God. You are perfect. How come we always search and pursue things that are not perfect in our life, O Lord? We conform to the world. But Lord, we come to you at this point in time in our life, Lord, and in this church life to Confess to you all our sins, our disobedience, all our wickedness in our thoughts, in our speech, in our actions, O Lord. And we come to you, Lord, right now, individually and also corporately, just like the Israelites, to renew our covenant with you, that we will follow you all the days of our life, that we will obey you, that you will only be our God, the only God that we're going to worship from this day until we see Jesus Christ face to face. So, Lord, help us, Lord, this week to journal all the good things that you've done for us in the past and the good things that you will be doing for us even in the future. Help us, Lord, to continue to pray, Lord, to confess our sins and to praise you for you are a great, good, and gracious God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let us all stand up, please, as a response. Let's sing near to the heart of God.